1: What's up, everybody? January 25th edition of the Fightful MMA Podcast. As always, I am pleased to join, this time on short notice, uh, by James Lynch. He was basically on. Uh, pulled off the bench, pulled off from the sidelines. Uh, Sean Pearson right now is stuck in, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Florida. I think he's on in in vacation with uh, the family at Disneyland or Disney World, whichever one of the two, uh, wherever that is. But the Wi-Fi is terrible there, and the wind uh, and storms are crazy there. If you look at his Instagram, at Sean Pearson, you'll see the pictures of the absolute monstrosity there but uh for those that don't know James uh James Lynch is joining us you can see him online or, or follow him online at Lynch on sports unfortunately during the initial podcast that he joined us with uh right afterwards uh people took uh, umbrage with what he said so he gone to a fist fight knocked out about 17 guys uh but hurt his collarbone and his shoulder in the process
0: James is that the truth yeah, pretty much. You know, I uh, broke my collarbone. I have to wear this uh, vest. So that's why I kind of look like Robocop. Um, but yeah, no, what really happened was I, I slipped and, uh, you know, fell on some stairs. Uh, it's, it gets cold here in, in Toronto, as you know. And uh, sometimes the grip uh, on the ground just isn't that good. So uh, I'm rocking, uh, like I said, the Robocop outfit for the next month. But uh, injured or not, I'm still going to show up for the Fightful MMA podcast.
1: I saw it a couple, I think it was about a week ago when I was in Miami uh, and I was just doing some research and I'm like, wait a second, before I do any research uh, other than what I like to do, I know James does some interviews with people from Titan. So I click on a couple of links and I'm like, oh my God, what happened to him? What is he doing? But during the initial
0: uh, podcast with us, you said you were wearing a sweater? Yeah, I was wearing a sweater because I, I didn't. Uh, I just didn't want to bring any attention to it. You know, it was your first show. I wanted to focus on the show itself, so I, I kind of, you know, did the old, uh, you know, sleight of hand. But uh, but as you can see, uh, I'm revealed. I'm exposed here, and, and you can see I'm a, I'm a wounded uh, wounded guy right here.
1: Dude, how Canadian are you? We always think about the other person <laughs> as opposed to the pain that we're in. But no, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Now, speaking of uh, a weird pain. Yeah. I think Chael Sonnen was in a bit of pain, despite Tito Ortiz and people saying that that, that was a fix. Look, yeah. his face went purple, okay? Uh, it didn't, it's not, It wasn't a rear naked choke. That's a fact. But there was a crank there. There was some sort of submission on there. And Big John McCarthy, actually, who, who, who ref the fight, basically said to all those haters and people that are saying that he would like to put uh, those folks into that same submission to see if they're calling fix or not. I mean, your thoughts.
0: Yeah, it's not a fix. Um, I really like what John Ramdean said this week on the Fight Network. He kind of articulated a lot of the thoughts I had. But uh, just to kind of put this in perspective, you know, Chell Sonnen uh, talking about how his dad wanted him to beat Tito Ortiz, you know, before the fight, his dad had passed away. I just don't see Chell going in there and and doing a fix for any amount of money at this point. And you you see a lot of these conspiracy theorists, Joe. They're people who don't train. They don't do jujitsu. They don't understand that, uh, you know, while it may have looked a little strange, The guy's not putting in a fix. I'm tired of this talk, to be honest. I see so many people, you know, questioning it. And and most of them are fans. And uh, it's just unfortunate because why don't we talk about Tito pulling off the upset and then going off into the sunset? Unfortunately, this
1: whole fix thing will never go away. It's always going to be there. Uh, I know technically it stems from from you know mixed martial arts in the early days in Japan. After UFC, uh, you know I think it was the original Pride with uh, I think it was Takada and, and Gracie, and, and and Coleman and stuff like that. So I could see where people may think that, but the reality is this. You got to think about Bellator and their deals that they have um, with casinos. You got to th- you, you you start messing around with that, and that gets out in the press. You're in big big trouble. Okay, uh, there's also Viacom who's behind um, you know Bellator. The other thing that you want to consider is. Maybe it's not Bellator. Can a fighter throw a fight? Uh, Hypothetically speaking, absolutely they can. And I mentioned it a couple days ago. Uh, The way I look at it is I'd be paying very close attention to stories from sports books that all of a sudden received massive bets on a favorite or massive bets on one fighter that are completely out of whack than what that fighter or a fight usually gets. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, one person puts $100,000 on T2 Tito Ortiz and they trace that IP address from, from you know, Oregon. Well, wait a second. Now you can start putting one and one together or you start seeing these different wages where all of a sudden this massive – I mean the bookies, when they do the lines, okay – They're smart about it. They're they're, going to fluctuate. If all of a sudden a favorite is this far away and tons of money starts coming in on him, well, guess what? They're going to start moving things around and making that underdog uh, more appealing to people, okay? Um, But all of a sudden, if big money starts coming on one of the fighters, that's when I can start seeing red flags being
0: raised. I haven't heard anything since this fight went down, James. Yeah, I haven't either. And that's a good point you bring up because uh, oftentimes you do have to check. If you go to bestfightodds.com, it can actually show you where the lines have bounced back and forth. And in this case, there was no crazy line action on, on things like, uh, you know, like on this fight in particular. Um, there have been instances I know in the past where that has happened, uh, but but nothing of note and, and nothing really to suggest that there is any fixing going on uh, with, with the bookies at this point. So uh, yeah, again, just a lot of ridiculous talk. And, and, and like I said, a little bit unfortunate that people aren't focusing on the fact that Tito Ortiz you know won his fight um against Chelsea Sonnen when a lot of people thought he couldn't get it done in terms of Tito
1: Ortiz though he's obviously you know the, the gloves are on the mat talking about retirement uh I'm leaning towards yes he's done but I also know he's a fighter okay and I've known Tito for years um uh, that guy's treated me like absolute gold even back to when he was married uh or together with Jenna Jameson uh UFC 100 Hard Rock Cafe uh him and Jenna playing uh, a practical joke on me uh the UFC's first, or the uh, the very first UFC on Fox event, uh, with Cain Velasquez and Junior dos Santos. I mean, I, I I go way back with Tito. Okay, he's still a fighter, James, and it, it always concerns me that these guys don't know when to let go. I'm going to lean towards the fact that he's hung up his gloves. But Elias Theodorou made an extreme point yesterday and just looked into the camera and said, "Everybody has a price, Joe."
0: Yeah. That, that, that is a good point. Uh, the one th- There's two reasons why I think Tito won't come back. The first reason, which is the most important, and we talk about price tag. Tito set himself up pretty nicely um, You know, outside of mixed martial arts. He has some successful businesses. He has the clothing line with Team Punishment. Um, he's someone who has been smart with his money. If we look at a catalyst of a fighter who is uh, you know going to go right off into the sunset, it's Tito Ortiz. He's done a great job in that sense. And the second thing is, um, I watched his interview with Frank Trigg on MMA Odds Breaker before uh, the fight with Chael Sonnen, and I really got this sense that you know he is sort of broken and battered I mean we talk about all the injuries he's gone through think about how long he's been involved in mixed martial arts dating back to when he was the UFC champion uh, it's a lot I can see him walking away at this point and, and especially with all the politics going on right now with sponsorships and everything else I know he's with Bellator but but even so I, I think he kind of sees that it's, it's not really worth it right now for him to try and keep this going so I'm going to say he's going to stay retired as for
1: Chael Sonnen, I know his stock value has dropped uh, quite a bit since this bout here with um, with Tito Ortiz. Just the way it ended, the lead-up and stuff like that. Um, he does want to fight Vanderlei Silva. And right now, I can guarantee you half the people around the world are like, no, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. Look, if that fight gets starts starts, there's some semblance of that fight being put together. Just put Chael Sonnen in front of a microphone. I guarantee you that momentum will start switching over and people will want to see Chael Sonnen because he'll convince the whole world that everything is fine. He's screwed up. He's better. He's making changes. This is what happened. This is what I'm going to do. I mean, your thoughts on, on, on Chael potentially taking on Vanderlei.
0: Oh, it's great. I mean, Chell is, uh, it's a huge asset for Bellator to have someone like Chell Sunen because they don't really have anyone like him who can speak on the microphone, can sell a fight. I mean, look, we saw the numbers this past weekend for Ortiz and and They were phenomenal. I think it was third highest rated uh, Bellator show in, in history. So you, you can't put a price tag on something like that. And I think it doesn't even matter if it's Vandelay or anyone else. I think there's a lot of options for Chell Sunen and Bellator. And I think that uh, it really doesn't matter. I think we, we will see Vandelay Silva fight him next but I think you I, you know you see a stock, a stock is dropped I don't think people care to be honest people will watch Chell Sonnen fight I mean this is we're talking about the same guy who lost a title fight to Anderson Silva and then gets to fight John Jones he talked him way he talked himself into a title shot so I think the sky's the limit for Chell Sonnen and I really think Bellator has, has a great asset on their hands.
1: Uh, In terms of Bellator, they did announce Rampage Jackson versus King Mo Lawal 2, and King Mo is just not holding back on any of his comments, obviously uh, taking shots at Rampage's uh, current weight, uh, saying that Rampage is basically, I think he said he was curling donuts. That's the only thing he's been doing, and that he's a a fat guy and stuff like that. And Rampage, kudos to him for laughing it off, saying, whoa, whoa, low blow, and started making fun of uh, King Mo's face and mustache and, and beard and stuff like that. But do you like this fight?
0: I, I do. I think that you have to take advantage of the fact that these two guys fought previously and there was some controversy. If you look at uh, actually Mo posted this on his uh, on his Twitter of uh, the uh, MMA decisions where all the media had scored the fight for Mo. Um, it was a controversial fight. I know Rampage is not the same fighter he used to be. But the fact that these two guys are good on the mic, I think that sells itself. Um, and I think you have to take advantage of this now. I don't know how much longer we're going to see Rampage compete. You saw his last fight against Ishii, not a great performance, so might as well take advantage of it now. And, and one interesting fact about this fight that I think most people know, but in case they don't, this is a heavyweight. I mean, Rampage can't get down to 205 anymore, so how is that going to play into someone like King Mo's hand? Uh, he did fight at heavyweight for Ryzen, but I think that it, it's, it's kind of adding some more intrigue to the matchup, and I like it all watch just because I know there'll be a good buildup to it.
1: Rory McDonald was challenged by Paul Daly, who uh, emerged victorious. And Rory Mac's uh, post—he basically his rebuttal was, you know, when 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 Daly calls out Rory Mac, and he had this gra- or this video, or just it was more or less a GIF of yeah. um, uh, Zach Galifianakis laughing. I forgot what movie it was from, but it was it was absolutely hilarious. And uh, I think you said he posted something else, or mentioned something
0: else, perhaps. Yo, I, th- I think that was the post that I was referring to because it was right after Daly had called him out. And I, I don't follow Rory on Twitter, but I saw someone retweet it and it got traction right away. And, and that's what you got to do. I mean, again, social media is a, is a good tool for that type of thing. And uh, good on Rory for standing his ground and uh, you know w- trying to sell this fight because I think people are excited about it.
1: I think, it I, you know, I, 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 yeah. So I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, is he selling the fight or is he like laughing it off saying, dude, you're not even in my league. I, I want a yeah.
0: title shot. I mean, what, what is yeah. Bellator going to do here?
1: Well, do Joe, I, do?
0: I'll, I'll tell you what. I actually have some inside information here that I'm going to mention to your listeners. I haven't really tweeted about it, but I know someone close to Douglas Lima's camp, and it sounds like they're going to do Douglas Lima and Rory McDonald in July. Uh, that's, that's kind of the rumblings I'm hearing right now. Um, it, you know, it would kind of make sense because of the fact that Lima's not going to fight Paul Daly because Paul Daly uh, just lost to Douglas Lima recently. Uh, the fight I think you have to make for Paul Daly, I, I know we're talking about, the, you know, the buildup with Rory, but is the Michael Page fight. I mean, these two guys are from the UK. Bellator likes doing international shows. This is the money fight to make. And I know you sort of kill off a contender in that regard, but I think that is the main event that people would be excited about. The one knock on Michael Page has been, he hasn't fought anyone, uh, you know, a, 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 you know decent competition. Paul Daly is definitely uh, going to fill that notch. So I think they're going to do Rory Lima and then possibly Daly and MVP.
1: In terms of this weekend, you're mentioning about, you know, fights in general and who hasn't had a quality fight, who who he hasn't been tender. Titan FC headliner, uh, Jose Shorty Torres, Pedro Nobre, a UFC veteran, okay? A guy that's competed there. He's gone the distance with Tim Elliott. Torres, Shorty Torres, in his fourth professional fight, needed 86 seconds to take out Pedro Nobre. This is a guy that built up his record in amateur mixed martial arts. Not mistaken, he was 24 and 1 or 25 and 1 in amateur MMA. Goes pro. Okay. By the way, his amateur MMA record, he started his amateur MMA career with a loss. He then goes on this 24 to 25 fight winning streak, then goes pro, wins a title in his third fight. And then takes out a UFC veteran who's trying to get back to the UFC in 86 seconds, a veteran that's been taken out, uh, a veteran that couldn't take out, or that Timothy Elliott couldn't defeat in 25 minutes. And Timothy Elliott's gone the distance also with um, Demetrius Johnson. I know MMA math doesn't always work, but Shorty Torres, man, this guy is the real deal. And I think he's gone. I think, you know, I was part greedy in the broadcast at the very end because Left Man, you know, grabbed his phone and showed up to the camera and said, hey, Dana White, uh, you may want to check yeah, your messages. It and stuff like that, uh, I, I, I was honest. I mean, in, in that moment there, it was a special moment. Me personally, I said out of greed uh, and it just out of pure just, you know, I, I, I don't want to stop calling Shorty Torres fights, but the right decision is for Shorty Torres to see. He's not going to be in the top 10, but this guy is good to go.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I actually tweeted out something uh, right after the, the Shorty win just because, uh, you know, it is a huge win taking out a UFC vet the way he did. Um, he's 24 years old. Normally in a case like this, you know, with only having, um, you know, what is it, five fights or three, four professional fights under his uh, resume. I would say, you know, maybe give it some time. But here's the thing, Joe. Flyweight is one of those divisions. You're not going to get top flight competition outside of the UFC right now. There just isn't. Uh, enough you know UFC vets or things along those lines for him to develop, so I think the right move would be to put him in the UFC because at the very least he can fight some of the guys that you know maybe didn 't uh, get to the top of the, of the heap and I think there 's a good way to, to build uh, you know him up in the UFC and just one more thing. Good on Titan FC for building up their prospects. This is a guy that they were very high on when he made his debut. And I like to see these promotions focus on prospects and build them up and match make them in a way. You know, they didn't give Shorty a, a tough test, you know, right off the bat in his pro debut. They gave it to him a bit later. And I think that's how you develop and build prospects. And I think Shorty's going to benefit from it. And, and like you said, potentially go to the UFC.
1: And speaking of going to the UFC, uh, the co-main event for Titan FC 43 was to feature for the heavyweight title. And, and Volkan Özdemir was supposed to be competing. Uh, it's like the second, third, or perhaps the fourth time he was supposed to be competing on a Titan show. Uh, and just hours before the weigh-ins, he gets the news that, you know what, uh, the UFC is looking for a light heavyweight. And you're competing at heavyweight in Titan, but the UFC is looking for a light heavyweight to take on OSP. Uh, you're going. And he's, where's the contract? and you know good on titan in my opinion i mean it sucked for me uh, yeah. it sucked for for kamaro usman it sucked for the show it sucked for everyone tuning in that wants to see this guy compete but guess what great for him good on titan he's now going to the big show and he's taking on osp in like 2 weeks man
0: yeah and this has happened before, Joe. If you remember Ben Saunders was supposed to fight, I think it was initially Matthew Riddle, and then after that it was um, uh, Jose Pele Lanz, uh the, the veteran. and uh, the, you know th- that was the main event of the Titan card, and uh, the UFC you know wanted Ben Saunders on their card, and Titan let him go and that's one thing I, you have to commend Titan for is letting these fighters go and pursue uh, better opportunities and I think it's a great move, and I think you know the fact that uh, we knew his fight wasn't going to happen, uh, this is a guy who you know you look at him, a, a Swiss prospect twenty 27- seven years old a 12-1 and record it only made sense to bump him up and and you know there are other organizations show and we know this that wouldn't give a fighter that type of opportunity so I think it just speaks volumes to the you know the respect that Jeff Aronson and Lex McMahon have for fighters in their organization and wanting to see them get to the next level
1: I just realized you said something very important there James during the interview with with Camaro uh, Kush or Usman and I uh we call him Kush by the way uh, I forgot to ask Vulcan What's it like being the first ever Swiss fighter going to the UFC? Oh, that's right. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. He's yeah, going
0: can make history. Ah,
1: yeah. Oh, I should have thought. Okay. All good. Anyways, uh, for those that don't know Vulcan, um, I want to shake him sometimes because he's just so calm like dude like just smile like let's let's laugh and you know Kamara gets him laughing because Kamara is just an absolute disaster I mean you, if you've ever watched a tight broadcast every so often he's taking shots at me he's just he actually posted on his Instagram right now uh he's wishing um you know his teammate and his pal uh, Francis Ngannou uh, you know the best of luck against Andrei Orlovsky which we'll get to momentarily and take a wild guess who's in the picture with those two guys me okay <laughs> here's me Here's Kamaro, and Francis is up here. And I'm like, Kamaru, like pictures you got to post. You got to post the one that like, like, basically, like a, like a little like a tiny next to these guys, right? But yeah. that's Kamaro Usman. We're going to get to that card momentarily. But I want to touch back on Shorty for a moment. Also, Will Starks. Will Starks made his uh, yeah. professional mixed martial arts debut um, at Titan FC 43. And cerebrally, I, I said this before, he took his time. Slowly but surely, and then as soon as he smelt blood, he went in there for the kill. And as opponent, I think
0: at the time had about god man, nine fights. Yeah. But, I think I it think, was eight uh, eight 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 fights or something. He was three as is that he was two and five or something, seven fights, I think. Okay, so
1: those yeah. are those fights there. Starks yeah. had competed about 16, 17 times as an amateur. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of weird when you look at a guy that's been fighting for pro and has a certain record at pro and an, and an amateur guy with all that experience now making his MMA debut, it kind of skews the minds uh, of everybody. But it just goes to show you, if you start competing in amateur mixed martial arts and you build your record properly and accordingly and blah, blah. I remember when you know I talked about it yesterday with Elias and, and Terry Riggs. Uh, for those that don't know Terry Riggs who are tuned in tonight, uh, Terry Riggs is Carlos Newton's um, original manager. And we had talked about building amateur mixed martial arts here in Ontario. Uh, with beginner, intermediate, advanced, and you got to compete five times at beginner before you can get to intermediate, five times there before you can get to advanced, and then five times there before you get to pro. At minimum, you're getting 15 fights, and then you can go pro. And you're seasoned. You're seasoned if you can do that. And Will Starks came in there and did an absolutely fantastic job. And I think it just goes to show you, James, the importance uh, of mixed martial arts. And you know. I don't necessarily agree with the way the International Mixed Martial Arts Federation does, uh, or International Amateur Mixed Martial Arts Federation does their bouts. I I think it should be a little different, but they're the ones that are doing it now, and I think it's great that guys and girls are getting the
0: experience so they can go pro. And then what about the exposure to being on UFC fight pass? I mean, this is a great platform, uh, you know, having a promotion like Titan that has the fight pass access and everything else. And you're, you're building these guys up and they're getting the exposure that they, that they need, you know, some guys they fight, you know, 10, 12 fights and they don't even get a shot on uh, you know, television or anything. So I think it's great to see what Titans doing. Uh, you know, Will Starks uh, looks like someone that we need to be keeping our eye on. And that's what gets me excited. You know, uh, seeing guys that you can follow and, and see their careers progress and eventually get to the UFC. So uh, Will Starks, a plus debut and i'm looking forward to his next fight now
1: i'm looking forward to uh, toronto maple leaf austin matthews career continuing to to grow he just scored a goal to one nothing Leafs versus the red wings uh yes for those that don't know i'm a toronto maple leafs fan james lynch is a vancouver canucks fan we don't like each other that's why we cannot do these uh these podcasts in the same room uh because it will get ugly No, uh in all seriousness um <laughs> Austin Matthews uh looking pretty good. Um the one I, I want to talk to you about something that that I brought up to Big John McCarthy uh and I've got his reply here. Uh, and I mentioned it yesterday I don't know what I'm allowed to use. I'm actually going to text to John. I'll text John after this to ask him what am I allowed to use in terms of his response to what I'm about to mention right now. Maybe I'll I'll be able to spin an article out of it. Um in Japan the referees there generally speaking are are far more educated than what we may be used to here in North America. Remove big John McCarthy, uh, Herb Dean, uh, Mark Godard and, and so many other guys that are, that are really, really good. Uh, Jason Herzog, spectacular referee. Uh, and that's why he's also coming to Japan because he's amazing. Um, but in Japan, what they do, the Japanese refs, what they do is when a submission is applied, one fighter applies a, a submission to another fighter, they do basically what's called the shoot sign. Okay. And they basically pointed at the submission. And that basically informs the crowd hey, there's a submission going on here, but also the judges, especially if there's a judge that's in a bad angle that can't see behind, like the, the opponent's backs are this way, but he's got something over there. Could be a Darce choke, could be an anaconda choke. Well, you can see if it's an anaconda choke, but you could see if a choke is on. Uh, the referee could see it much better than a, than a judge who's about 20 feet away. I happen to like this. Okay. Uh, because, A, uh, in order for a referee to be allowed to do this, you need to be educated, in my opinion. I think there's a fear that, you know what, if guys don't know what they're doing, they're going to do it anyways. That's not my intention of this rule here. My intention is to add this based on the referee knowing what he's looking at uh, and also educating the judges and the fans. that, hey, you know what, this fight could be coming to an end. And that will help judges score a round correctly,
0: in my opinion. That's the byproduct of this. I mean, your thoughts. Yeah, I agree with you. I like this uh, out-of-the-box thinking, and I think that's a great way for the judges to get a better sense of what's actually happening in the fight. You know, oftentimes, you know this, uh, even sitting at press row or cage side, sometimes you can't see what the, what's happening with the action. So having that there, let's say a fighter's in a bad angle and you can't see the monitor, um, you know, it's, you're kind of getting that sense of what's actually happening in the fight. So I'm in favor of this. And I think if this can lead to better judging and the more accurate scorecards, I'm in favor of it. Oh, I think I lost you there. Oh, uh, I was just saying I I, I think it's a great idea uh, as far as, uh, you know, evolving the sport and, you know, seeing ideas, uh, you know, that can come to fruition. I mean, uh, you know, if if you're sitting cage side sometimes and you can't see a certain angle, uh, you know, it it, it kind of helps in that regard because you're going to have a referee being able to point something out that a judge might have not seen.
1: All right. Big John, if you're watching this right now, uh... Uh, I need to find out what I'm allowed to use from this massive reply that you gave me uh, and I, my reply to him was I'm sick and tired of you being right or are you finishing <laughs> my sentences uh because he's just so smart oh my god he's the guy he's the guy that created this the the rules or helped create them he's the original referee minus ufc one uh but he was brought in because the referee at ufc one wasn't necessarily liked so big john's been doing this since ufc two ladies and gentlemen uh you can say whatever you want about the guy the guy knows more about the rules and mixed martial arts than than i would say 99 percent of the people out there so uh it is what it is um this was all part of an article that I had written. Amateur MMA was one of them. The shoot symbol was the second thing. And the third item stemmed from, you know, BJ Penn versus Yair Rodriguez. We have Chael Sonnen versus Tito Ortiz. And the dilemma that I have and how my mind has changed uh, regarding certain fighters that have reached a certain level, James, in mixed martial arts. And because I'd made a comment about Anderson Silva taking on um, Derek Brunson um shogun who at the time taken on osp and my brain basically said oh my how the mighty have fallen okay um because we're so used to just seeing these guys fight other quote-unquote legends or or people that have these bigger names that when you hear anderson silva taking on Derek brunson you're like what how does that make sense it just doesn't resonate the greatest of all time is no longer the champion but really can't compete anymore because he's making these really bad decisions inside the octagon, and now he's fighting Derek Brunson. And then we got BJ Penn against Yair Rodriguez. We should have saw BJ Penn against Dennis Seaver and or Cole Miller. And I, thought to, I thought to myself, well, listen, just because a guy has made it to the or girl has made it to the very top of the food chain, the very top of their division, and can no longer compete there, doesn't mean they're done in mixed martial arts. Perhaps what we should actually be thinking is saying, you know what? Maybe they can't compete with those young lions anymore. Maybe they should be competing against guys in and around their same age because their skill set now has dropped to the level of where this guy has basically always been. Yeah. And they're the same age. So what I'm thinking is – all I'm asking for from these matchmakers and regulators, James, is a fair fight. Make it fair for BJ Penn.
0: BJ Penn should never be fighting Yari Rodriguez, but he should be fighting Dennis Seaver or Cole Miller. I agree. Um, The one thing I'll disagree with you, though, is the Anderson Silva and Derek Brunson matchup. Well, I you know, there is a very good possibility that Derek Brunson could win that fight. Uh, We're we're kind of have a short memory in that Anderson Silva was actually doing quite well against Michael Bisping. In fact, some people say he knocked him out in that fight. And we're talking about the UFC middleweight champion. Now, BJ Penn, different story, long layoff, dropping down a weight class. It's never a good recipe for a fighter to, uh, you know, as they get older to drop down a couple weight classes and try and compete. And Yara Rodriguez, I mean, BJ Penn initially, initially was supposed to fight Seaver, then it was Cole Miller, and then it's Yair Rodriguez, a bit of a head scratcher. I think if you ask people around the, the community and everything else, unanimously, they would have said that was a mismatch. Anderson Silva, Derek Brunson, I think that's a little bit closer of a fight, but I do understand what you're saying in that, do we want to remember Anderson Silva for getting knocked out by Derek Brunson? I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if that's the way we have to see it, it's not a very good uh, way to do so. I'm with you. I'd rather see these guys fight you know, veterans uh, themselves. Like if Shogun dropped down to 85 and fought Anderson, I'd be fine with that.
1: (laughs) I don't know if they'd ever do that, though. but they do have a bit of history, Uh, good and bad, but mostly good. Um, You mentioned Michael Bisping. Uh, Michael is apparently uh, scheduled to return. In in, in sometime in the spring and or April to my understanding, but he wants a big money fight, whether it's he says if it's UL Romero, fine. That's not a big money fight, Michael. You and I both know that, and so do you, James. Uh, Anderson Silva, that could be a a pretty good money fight, but we got to wait now for Anderson to get past uh, Derek Brunson. GSP is what I'm thinking. GSP is basically what I'm leaning towards, leaning in in, in favor of because uh, I haven't heard anything from George yet. I'm waiting for uh, for him to get back to me. But uh, I, you know that that's you know if you if you've listened to the Fightful MMA podcast before, ladies and gentlemen, uh, with Elias Theodoro uh, not confirming he's training at Tristar. Our word is George is looking for a ten million dollar fight, uh, and Bisping is looking for a money fight. You know, part of the math, but one and one does equal two. Uh, James, your thoughts on BISPing and this whole money fight scenario?
0: Well, I don't like it to be honest, but if we are going to do a money fight, that would be the fight to do is George St. Pierre and Bisping. But I mean, this is a guy who defended his title once and it was against the guy that he basically handpicked in Dan Henderson, who in the reality of everything didn't deserve to really get that title shot. I mean, he got a bounce back win over Hector Lombard, but Dan Henderson had no business fighting Michael Bisping and he actually made it competitive, but that was Bisping's pick. Okay. If you're the champion and you've defended your belt a couple times, okay, then you can start talking about super fights, but this guy has not defended his title you know he's only defended it once and you all Romero it's not like he won a split decision against Chris Weidman he knocked Chris Weidman out that was impressive and that in itself should earn him a title shot I think Romero and Bisping is the fight that should happen next I get Bisping's point of view on this but I just don't think as a champ if you haven't defended your belt a couple times or if your name's Conor McGregor you shouldn't be demanding money fights at this point you've got to fight the contenders that are available and this one it's clear cut I mean Romero took off Weidman's head there's nothing more to say
1: I, I, it just hit me. If GSP and Bisping were to fight and GSP yeah. beats him, yeah, I don't think George wants to fight you all Romero. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not at all. No. That's a, I mean, George will fight anybody. We both know that. I know that personally. But yeah. that's a big, big guy. Now, George had his reasons uh, as to why he never wanted to fight Anderson Silva when they were both the champs uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, and, you know, he never he's never told me this. Neither has Faraz, neither has anyone at that camp, but I know for a fact, in my head, the reason why they didn't want to fight Anderson Silva and how certain reactions were made when Anderson Silva was caught doing steroids uh, and was pinched for doing that, I I almost felt like I got told the I told you so. Uh, Not to say anything that Joel Romero's doing anything illegal, but George St. Pierre probably does not want Anything to do with a monster like that. But it remains to be seen. Anything can happen. Uh, we'll see what now. Speaking of anything can happen, James. Yeah. The ultimate fighter 25. Cody Garbrandt, coach number one. He is the UC Bantamweight champion. Former Bantamweight champion, former teammate TJ Dillashaw is the other coach. They have both revealed their coaching staff on the show. And what we have here on Garbrandt's side is TJ Dillashaw. And, or excuse me, um, uh, Uriah Faber. Mm-hmm. T.J. Dillashaw has Dwayne Ludwig. Oh, of Houston. Yeah. Houston, we have a problem. Uh, Dillashaw also has Matt Brown, Elliot Marshall, uh, I believe Lester Bowling, and then Cody Garbrandt has the likes of Danny Castillo. Um, who else was there? Uh, the, the, the Fabio Prado. Um, yeah, yeah and, uh, and Robert Meese. Um, there's going to be fireworks between obviously Dillashaw and, and Ludwig and stuff like that. Now, not Dillashaw, excuse me. I keep saying it. Faber and and yeah. Ludwig. It's, it's just not going to be pretty, in my opinion.
0: Well, they did that on purpose. I mean, they want ratings. Yeah. They, they want that scene, that little, you know, 20-second clip where Dwayne Ludwig and Faber are, you know, going head-to-head, and that's what they're going to use to sell the season, uh, even though it's really about these guys, you know, making their comebacks. But I think it's uh, – they, they have to do this type of stuff. I mean, we saw what happened, you know, when they had McGregor and Faber on. They had that altercation between, uh, you know, each side. That is what you need to do to get people to watch The Ultimate Fighter because it's, it's a tough sell these days, Joe. It's not what he used to be
1: how many different types of snakes are we going to see on this ultimate fighter? (laughs) Because obviously Uriah Faber, uh, and and others from team alpha male have made it clear that Dwayne Ludwig strictly went there, not just to help the team, uh, but to build his own name so he could eventually go back to Colorado, uh, and basically open his own gym. That's -hmm. what they're saying. And then TJ Dillashaw, obviously, you know, being called a snake in the grass, leaving team alpha male and going, uh, excuse me, back to bang, bang school, uh, or bang Muay Thai. How many different types of snakes uh, are, are we going to see on the show in terms of actually a Python and Anaconda and stuff like that? I think the over under is at six.
0: Yeah. Six I'd go six, 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 six and seven. a half. Yeah, I'll, I'll go eight. Uh, it's definitely going to get brought up by numerous times. And, and that's what people like to see is this, uh, you know, this whole narrative of TJ Dillashaw leaving Team Alpha Male with Dwayne Ludwig and, and going to Colorado. And it's intriguing. I mean, I, I, you know, I think even to this day, it's still something that's brought up. I mean, Dillashaw left a while ago. He's in a couple camps now in Colorado, but it's still, uh, you know, very relevant storyline. And I think it's going to play out quite well on television.
1: Welcome to my life. On Saturday, you've seen on Fox Shevchenko versus Pena goes down. But when you're the father of a six-year-old boy, and you have all your friends with kids in and around the same age, this guy will be going to a kid's birthday party during the day. Uh, And as as soon as I'm done during the day, I've got to race home to watch men and women fight inside of a cage so you can imagine the mind shift uh, that's going to happen and i'm sure there's millions of people out there uh, that have to go through the same thing but i've got to go from you know probably holding a little girl in my arms in a princess dress and she's probably gonna be putting makeup on me because it's my friend's daughter and my son going crazy to getting the makeup off watching fights coming on uh, to fight for the may to talk about the fights afterwards and there's some good fights here james i really like these fights yeah. uh, i'll start with the second-to-last bout on the preliminary card uh, on Fox. Hafiel Asunzao taking, taking on Aljamain Sterling. I really like this fight, but there's a bit of a mix as to who people think are going to win this fight. I mean, I, I am still leaning towards Asunzao. A lot of people are saying Sterling.
0: What's your take on this bout? Uh, I might be a little biased only because I got to speak with uh, Sun Asuncao before the fight, but I just think if we look at the skill set that Asuncao brings to the table, I think he is your guy that is going to get the job done. I've seen also mixed reaction on social media. A lot of people picking Sterling. They like the youth advantage. Here's the thing. Uh, Dillashaw, TJ Dillashaw, when he fought a Sun it's not like he was getting takedowns for days. And I think that's sort of a uh, Sterling's bread and butter. If you look at sort of his uh, pedigree and uh, a guy like a Sun I think if he can stuff those takedowns, he can keep it on the feet or let's say he does get it to the ground. He's got the jujitsu background. I think a Sun is, is more of a well-rounded fighter. And I'll also add in the fact this guy has fought the who's who in the division. Let's not forget that he you know, finished Brian Carraway uh, quite handily in that fight. I think that type of experience is going to pay dividends. And I was actually surprised that they made this matchup, Joe, just because of Sun Tzau, very dangerous. And you've got a guy in Sterling that you'd think they'd want to market as the bantamweight division sort of goes through a bit of an influx.
1: That's a good call. I think it's a good analogy right there. That makes total sense. Uh, you, talk, you want to talk about influx. You want to talk about... I don't know what to say in this fight here for Nate Marquardt, but Nate Marquardt is taking on Sman and Sam Elvey. Uh, Elias Theodoro said... Sam Elvey just needs to do and use what he's good at, and that's those fists. But Nate Marquardt just th- continues to prove either everybody wrong in one fight or everybody wrong in another fight where you think, ah, you know what, he's back. He's- not back. He-, he still has it. He's going to do it. And then, oh, no, he's too old. He's taking enough. MMA mileage is taking over. Father Time's taken over. I don't know what to think about Nate Marquardt anymore. If there's ever a guy that-, that proves mixed martial arts and anything can happen in a fight, it's Nate Marquardt. But he's taking on Sam Elvey,
0: who's just a blue-collar. Going to punch your face off whenever I feel like it, type of guy. Uh, Your sense of this about here. I think it's a clear-cut win for Sam Alvey. I know Nate Marquardt has been known to surprise. We saw that in the you know, CB Dalloway fight. Uh, you know We saw that again in the uh, Tamden McCrory fight in his last matchup. But Sam Alvey has power in his hands. If he connects, that's all it takes. We know Nate Marquardt can be knocked out. Now, here's the thing, Joe. A lot of people will point out to the fact that Marquardt can not surprise. You look at the guys that he's been able to knock out. Sam Alvey has one knockout loss on his professional resume. And that was even a bit of a questionable one against Derek Brunson. So Sam Alvey... Is not you're going to have to basically uh, you know ba- fight him off and, and get that knockout if you want to knock him out. It's not going to happen. The guy's got an iron chin. I think Sam Alvey, all he has to do is connect, and I think he will probably in the second round. And uh, we're, we're going to see the old Nate court again. Oh boy,
1: we move on to the main card, the opening bout, Alex Caceres. I finally said it, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you people that continually rip me when I say <laughs> uh, when I say names wrong. For some reason, I called Alex Caceres in an interview actually with him, James, in Vancouver. Oh, wow. I think it was in Vancouver. I kept referring to him as Alexis Caceres. I just, I don't, I don't know what the heck was going on there, but I got it right this time. Um, Alex Caceres taking on Jason Knight. I am leaning towards Bruce Leroy in this fight. Uh, how about
0: yourself? Oh, good, we have something to disagree about. I like the Knight, uh, the kid in this one, uh, Jason Knight, 24 years old. Uh, he's just looked great. I know a lot of people will kind of point to the fact that, uh, you know, he's not really getting finishes in those last couple fights, you know, having that split decision against Eilers and then uh, getting the unanimous decision against uh, Daniel Hooker. But I just think every time we see Jason Knight out, we get a different Jason Knight. And while Caceres has had a bit of a resurgence, I know uh, he's coming off the loss to uh, Yair Rodriguez, um, but I-, I think that Knight is just on the come up. And I think Caceres is sort of, just stayed where he is. I'm going with Knight uh, in this fight, and I think he gets it done, probably by decision again.
1: I think on Monday Adam Martin said it best when he called Jason Knight. His nickname should be Fight Of, as in Jason Fight Of The Knight. Um, It's it's a pretty good nickname, if you ask me. Uh, Moving on from featherweight, we go to heavyweight. (sighs) Andre Orlovsky, he's taken on Francis Ngannou. I've I've met Francis Ngannou uh, two or three Titans ago, he was adjusting my tie. He wanted to make sure my pocket square was, was, was square. Uh, cause I like to wear white. I like to iron my pocket squares. I don't like the flower. I don't like the pattern. I like it. You know, I'm a huge, uh, I've ever watched the, the show suits. I'm a huge Harvey. Of course. Spectre. Yeah. I'm a huge Harvey specter fan. Um, yeah, the, the way they, they dress the characters on suits is the way I think many many dressers should be or, or, or men should be dressed, in my opinion. Especially when you're wearing ties and you wear the uh, the pocket square. So Francis is adjusting it, James. Then he yeah. looks over and he just goes like this. He's like, "Let me see your tie." I put my <laughs> hand up and he goes in to fix my tie. And it wasn't like I'm five seven, dude. I'm you, you know me. Yeah. I'm short. Hey, yeah. Yeah. Like, no about but I'm five seven. This guy's hand. Okay, when he was coming to He's my funny. neck. I I, yeah. I I said, I, said my, I, I can't even make it to this broadcast. Like, if Lex McMahon sees this, I'm going to die. This guy grabs yeah. my tie, and it was like a gentle giant just moving it around, and I'm like, he grabs my collar, and I'm like, this guy's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. And <laughs> the size of this monster, and the you could just see, and he was wearing a t-shirt, and no, he was actually dressed up that night, but a couple of days earlier, uh, we were joking around. We're talking about, you know, when he's competing, when he's sparring with Kamaru Usman and when he's sparring with other guys and other heavyweights and blah, blah, blah. And I was just saying, you know, what's your reach out? Let me look. Let me see what your reach is. And he puts his arm out like this. And I kind of put my, four, or, or, no, sorry, I put my chin where his reach was. And I want to see if I could move around his hand and blah, blah. And no matter which way I was going, James, his other hand was just circling like this. And every time I would come too close, <laughs> he would just do this. He would just kind of bring it up and show me what's the guys. I mean, it is. It's
0: unbelievable,
1: and we saw what he did in his last fight. I don't. I don't like. Arlovsky's chances here. I know the guy's proved a lot of things, but he's three straight losses and now he's taking on a monster. This is not a guy that I wanted to see Andre Arlovsky fight next. This is not Nganu should have been facing someone else. This is just strictly, in my opinion, a way for him to make his name, and I don't like this for Arlovsky at all.
0: Oh, I don't either. Um, you know, this is one of those fights where we're going to look back on Francis Naganu's resume, and we're going to say this was the fight, this was the signature victory that, uh, that that people will refer to when they're talking about his career. Um, I just don't see this ending. Well, I will say one thing though. I'm looking at the the odds uh, on this, and I know Naganu is like a minus four twenty five right now. Just looking here on five dimes, and uh, I think that's a little high. I think Arlovsky, you know, he does have a good ground game. He is very well rounded, but here's the problem, Joe. This fight it just takes one shot from Naganu and and Arlovski's out and we've seen that happen more often than not in his last couple of fights granted level of competition i mean we're talking about Alistair Overeem a guy who just fought for the title we're talking Steve Miocic who you know has the heavyweight title um i just think it doesn't bode well this almost reminds me a bit of the Alvi and Marquardt fight in the fact that you've got one guy who has really good power we've got a guy who doesn't have the best chin in the world and i just don't think it's going to end well for Arlovski so i'm going to go Naganu by knockout but again i think the later this fight goes if Arlovsky is able to you know use that cardio and maybe get this to the ground I think he does have a shot but I still got to go Nugano in this fight
1: all right, coming cool event the cowboy Donald Sterling taking on Jorge Masvidal George Masvidal whatever Masvidal you want to call him uh this is going to be yeah. a fun stand-up fight uh do you think anyone's going to bother trying to take this down to the ground to surprise their opponent or we're just going to see an absolute battle of combinations and and Masvidal because Masvidal likes to fight only at, at what his opponents give him He's going to have to right. fight on Saturday night.
0: Yeah, Robin Black had a really good breakdown of this, of George Masvidal, and you know, just calling him water and, and liquid, just saying that he adapts very well to what uh, his opponents do and, and everything else. And I think that uh, you know, Masvidal will always make it a tough fight. He's a guy who's tough to knock out, he's tough to finish, and he's fighting a guy in Cowboy who just looks like a completely different fighter at 170 pounds. We saw what he did to Matt Brown in his last fight. Um, I think what this comes down to, Joe, is you've got a guy in Masvidal who's very aggressive very good at getting in your face and you've got a guy in cowboy who's also very aggressive but a little bit more technical and i think the technician of uh, you know donald cerrone is going to pay dividends in this fight i actually see this possibly going the distance i see this being one of those really competitive back and forth fights but i do think that cowboy working with brandon gibson having those extra tools like the kicks and everything else is going to win the point win points on the judges uh, scorecards and i think we will see him take a decision here but uh, it's going to be a close fight I-, I don't feel confident in picking either guy
1: November 1993, the UFC, uh, you know, launches into the world of the North American, um, you know, pay-per-view market. Uh, and now, 23 years later, 24 years later, no, well, 23 years later, uh, it is the ladies that'll be right? in Denver. Uh, it'll be the ladies, Valentina Shevchenko taking on Juliana Pena. Uh, who would have ever thought this could happen in Denver? That the UFC is doing this? I think it's absolutely fantastic because you got two bad ladies that are going to just set this place on fire uh me personally i refuse to pick a winner in this fight all i know is that i've got this week that i can ask this question to uh you'd be number three mr lynch because Mm -hmm. this fight is fantastic and it's going to be one of those bouts that i'm just going to sit down put my phone down probably close my laptop i don't care about social media i'm watching these ladies just go at it
0: yeah, what a great fight and good matchmaking on the UFC's part because either of these fighters could be competing for the title. I know uh, Nunez uh, defeated Shevchenko uh, last year, so uh, probably not in a huge rush to make that rematch. But uh, here you have Juliana Pena, who is quietly amassed one of the most impressive records in the octagon. You know, she's uh, remained undefeated since she won the show. Uh, took out Katzengano in her last fight. A lot of people didn't think she'd win that matchup. And what about Valentina Shevchenko? I mean, here uh, she's fighting Holly Holm. Uh, people thinking this is Holm's way of you know getting redemption. After the the Tate loss, which you know she was winning, and of course Shevchenko outmatches Holly Holm in her own game. Uh, that's the fight for me that really makes a difference in this fight, and that is uh, I, I got to go with Shevchenko in this one. I think Pena's striking has never been really top notch. In my opinion, and if she can't get this to the ground, she's going to be in trouble. You're going to be having kicks thrown at you. You're going to be having, you know, punches from all angles coming your way. And I don't think Pena's faced anyone uh, to that degree. Now, Katsungano very talented fighter, but coming off that layoff, I have to wonder if, if gano uh, you know, had had a bit more cage time, how that fight would have played out. Um, but uh, no, I like Sushanko, and I also like the fact, Joe, that she spent time in Colorado to get acclimated to the altitude. She's been training with Rose Namajunas at 303, uh, the camp up there with Pat Barry. I think she's doing everything right for this. And, you know, Pena, I know this is her second or third fight in Chicago, uh, you know, doing the training camp there. She's moved there now. I don't know who she's training with. They didn't really show that. They talked about her jujitsu coach, but what are the level of training partners? Um, To me, that just is a bit of a red flag. So i got to go Shavshanko in this one. I think she's going to win a clear-cut decision and uh, possibly earn a title shot after this.
1: There you have it, James Lynch. Make sure you follow him online at Lynch on Sports. He is a MMA journalist for Sportsnet. He's the host of Parting Shot MMA, an avid supporter of the Canucks and the Seahawks. James, before we let you go, any final words uh, for the
0: viewers? Uh, no, you pretty much uh, plugged all my social media and stuff there. Uh, excited for the fights this week. Uh, CES is also going down on Axis TV on uh, Friday. I'm looking forward to that. Lots of good MMA going on. Oh, Bellator as well on, uh, on Friday. Uh, not a great card, but AJ McKee, uh, Antonio McKee's son, uh, potentially going 7-0. So keep an eye out for him on Friday night. And uh, thanks as always for having me on here. It's always so much fun.
1: Absolutely. My pleasure, my man. There you have it. For James Lynch, my name is Showdown Joe. You can follow me uh, on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Showdown Joe. Uh, tomorrow, I'll be with Sean Rossap Sapp at 1.30 p.m., a special time, 1.30 p.m. He is the managing editor for Fightful.com. Uh, we're going to have a good time. And you know Sean Rossap is going to lose his marbles about something. Till then, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you tomorrow at 1.30 p.m.